This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. Hey, we're in part four of a series that we're calling What's Next? And, and this series is all about the spiritual journey that each of us are taking. Whether you uh, know that you're taking a spiritual journey or not, you and I are on a spiritual journey. And so that journey begins when, when we come into a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, it even begins before that, but that, because way before you were ever born, God had a plan for your life, and he sent Jesus to, to institute that plan, and he sent Jesus so that you would be able to walk in that plan, and so it began way before you ever knew it. So we're, we're all on a spiritual journey together, and this spiritual journey consists of four parts that we see all throughout the Word of God. It begins with us coming into a relationship with God around here. We just simply call that knowing God. So, you know, God wants us to to know Him, and then after we know Him, He wants us to find freedom. Because even after you're saved, even after you come into a relationship with Christ, it's, it's, it's obvious. I mean, it was obvious for me in my life that that I still had old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things. I had to have my mind renewed. And God wants us to experience even greater degrees of freedom in our lives so that we can serve, serve him more faithfully. And then after that, he wants us to, what we're going to talk about today, discover purpose. How many of you realize that God has a purpose for your life? He has a purpose for your life. As a matter of fact, you know, every year in our Easter service, we do a, what we call a spiritual survey. And we ask people, you know, what are some of the topics that you would like to hear preached on, some themes that like you would like to hear preached on, or some uh, answers to questions that you have that you would like it to be addressed in a sermon series or a message. And, and without fail, year after year, one of the top two or three things that people want to know about, hear about, is that I want to know why I'm here. I, does God have a purpose for my life? Does my, does my life have a reason? Does it have a meaning? So year after year, this shows up. And the reason that it shows up is because it's part of God's plan for your life. It's part of the journey that you and I are taking. God wants us to discover what our purpose is and then live out that purpose in order to, part four, make a difference, make a difference. And so we've talked about knowing God. We've talked about finding freedom. We've talked about that, and, and freedom is, you know, in, in is, you know, the Bible word would be deliverance. How many of you know that sometimes we can have habits in our life, we can have hang-ups in our life, we can have wrong ways of thinking in our life, and so in order, if we can get free from that, then we can live more fully as the Lord has uh, desired us to live. And so we've talked about that, and so today I want to, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, discovering purpose, Dis- discovering purpose. How many, I know you have, but how many of you have seen commercials lately, and it seems like there's just been, you know, more uh, prolific, you know, in the last few years, you see uh, commercials like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. I think 23andMe is the, the one they send you, you order a test kit, and they, they send you a kit, and you spit in a tube, and you send the tube back to them, and they do a DNA analysis of your life, and they send it back, and you find out, oh, man, you know, I'm, part of my family is from, 
you know, over in Europe somewhere, Italy somewhere, Africa somewhere, and I'm 116th this. And, and so they, they send you back a DNA analysis, and you go, oh, that's who I am. And, and, and I think that's awesome that we can, we can find out who we are and, and where we came from and, and what our makeup is. But even more important is that is not just our natural family tree and who's hanging on that tree. And not, it's not just our natural family tree, and it's not just our natural DNA, but it's how did God make us? How many of you know that God made us in a certain way? God made us in a certain way. So it's an important that we find out how God made us. He said in his word that you are fearfully, wonderfully made. While you were yet in your womb, he formed all, the inward, all your inward parts, and he brought you into being. So it's not just your natural DNA, but it's, it's your spiritual makeup, how God made you. So I think it's cool that we can do all these personality tests. I mean, I've done them all. I've done the Myers-Briggs. I've done the Strength Finder. I've done, you know, the DISC profile. I've done them all, and I think they're real telling. I mean, I, you know, and every one of them came back for me similar, like, yeah, that, whether you like it or not, that's how you're wired. That's how God has wired you. And, you know, I always want it to be something else. I want it to come out something else, but it always comes out the, kind of the same way. And, and, you know, like it or not, that's who I am, right? And then that, that doesn't mean that every part of me is sanctified. You know, even in your personality, how many of you know that your personality can be unsanctified or it can be sanctified? right and so it doesn't your personality doesn't give you an excuse to be rude or anything like well that's just the way I'm wired I'm just real direct no you know that's called rude sometimes and so your personality doesn't give you a license to be rude you need to have your personality sanctified so anyway God has he, he has given us all a personality and it's, it's, it's important to understand that you know for instance you know we do a in our starting point sessions we do it we do a personality profile, and, and let me tell you why we do it. We want to do it so you can understand you, but we want to make sure that, you know, if we don't want somebody who is, who's greeting at the door, and they're going, man, I just don't, I can't look at people in the face. I'm just, I'm way too shy to look at people and talk to people. Well, you know, they don't want to be greeting at the door, and we don't want them to be greeting at the door, Right? Right? And so it's important for us to understand some of these things. But not only has God gifted you and, and given, wired you with a personality, God has gifted you with spiritual gifts. I think that is awesome. There's things that you can do that nobody else can do. There, there's a way that God, God has given you things that causes you to have strengths that no one else has. Is that right? And you say, well, I don't know if that's right or not. I've never discovered it. Well, we want to help you to discover that. And so in our starting point class, we will go through a spiritual gifts assessment. And it, you'll, you'll go through this, and you'll just kind of fill in the blank, and then it'll kind of spit the information out. And you'll see that you're kind of gifted in this area, and that'll at least get the ball rolling for you. I found this, that you can't steer a parked car. Have you ever tried to steer a parked car? Well, you can't steer it because it's not moving, and you can't steer parked people. And God can't even steer parked people. So if you get, get moving a little bit, God can kind of move you into place and move you what you're called to do. All right. So 
I want to talk to you about this because, and I, and I, I just want you to just to assume that the Word of God is true and that God has gifted you, okay? And we don't have time to get into all the giftings and what they are. Let, I will read a scripture to you in Romans 12, 6. It says this, In His grace, God has given us different gifts. He's given each of us different gifts for doing certain things well. There's things that you can do and you can, it kind of comes to you easy that it is difficult for everyone else. And it's because you're gifted to do it. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy or preach, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. You know, that's actually a gift. Uh, giving, generosity is a gift. Amen. He goes on to say, uh, if you have the gift of leadership, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list. And he's saying, look, everybody is gifted, and it's not exhaustive. You, if you can read over in 1 Corinthians 12, there's other gifts. 1 Peter, there's other gifts that are mentioned. But God has gifted each one of us to do certain things well. And when everybody is operating in their gift or they're operating in their bent, and they're operating in their strengths, well, how many of you know that's going to benefit everyone around? As a matter of fact, you cannot be you without me. And I cannot be me without you. Right, because God has never called us to individuality. We're individuals, but God has called us to a community. He's called us to be together, and our gifts are to operate together. They're, they're operate with, with each other, okay? So... Just assuming that you are gifted. Now, let me just say this, that your gift does not work best on your own. When you're just on your own and trying to operate your gift, your, op your gift operates at its maximum when it operates in God's design, how God has designed it to operate. And God has always designed that your gift operate through love. The word says, through love we are to serve one another. Your gift is never to really directly benefit you. Your gift is always to benefit someone else. You're not gifted for your benefit. You're gifted for someone else's benefit, all right, to be a blessing to someone else. Amen. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit when we're talking about discovering purpose and we all have a general purpose in our life. We have a common purpose. And that common purpose is to serve God and serve others. Let me say it like this. Our common purpose, our general purpose, every person in here, no matter how you're gifted, I mean, I don't care if you've got the greatest oratory gift on planet Earth, your, your purpose, your, your purpose, your design is to serve other people with that gift. And so I want to talk to you about being a servant this morning. So I entitled this message, uh, The Goat, the G-O-A-T. Anybody know what the goat is? Y'all help me out. Y'all say it real loud if you know what it is. Don't be shy. What, what is the goat? The greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. And so uh, when, in the sports world, you've probably heard this. It's probably coined in the sports world. And there's always these back and forth, these arguments, these these disagreements about who is the greatest of all time in a certain sport. Who is the greatest of all time? So, I mean, if you were to talk about 
If you were to talk about golf, people will throw out, you know, they'll, they'll throw out the names of Arnold Palmer. They'll, they'll throw out Jack Nicholas. And then this other guy, he doesn't even need a last name. Everybody just knows it, Tiger. I mean, who, who's the greatest of all time? And so, and then there's arguments back and forth. Well, it depends on what era it is because, you know, because of technology these days, because equipment changes, because of cor- golf course setup, and, you know, that you can argue that the, he was the greatest of all time because they didn't have this back then. So anyway, people just say, who's the greatest of all time? When it comes to basketball, I mean, who's the greatest of all time? I mean, I, I, I bet you're thinking of the same two names I'm thinking. Is it Jordan or is it LeBron? Thank you very much. I completely agree with you. It's Jordan. He's the greatest of all time. LeBron's not the greatest of all time. He's still playing. You can't even put that. You can't even, you can't even say that about him right now. And so who, who's the greatest of all time? When it comes to, to boxing, I mean, you got Muhammad Ali. He's the self-proclaimed greatest of all time. He said himself, <laughs> I'm the greatest of all time. So is it Muhammad Ali or is it Floyd Mayweather? I mean, who's the greatest of all time? You see, there's... There, so people, they, they argue about that, but why is that? Why is, there, why is it even important that we identify who the greatest of all time is? Because deep down on the inside, everybody wants to be great. Deep down on the inside, everybody wants to be, they, they want their life to matter. They, they, they want something that, to matter in their life. They want to be acknowledged for, you know, their hard work, for their accomplishments, for their position. And that's deep down on the inside of every single person. I've never met anybody who says, you know, I just want to be mediocre. You know, I, I, just, I just don't want to be anything. And I mean, people say, oh, I don't want anybody to see me. I just, want, I just want them to see the Lord. Oh, you're lying. You want people to see you. You want people to say good job to you. You, you want that, right? And so who's the greatest of all time? I mean, in football, I mean, is it, is it Joe Montana? Is it Tom Brady? No. Is it, uh, <laughs> is it you know, Aaron Rodgers? Or is it Drew Brees? Come on, everybody. Y'all give me a... Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then somebody said none of the above. In soccer, is it you know is it Ronaldo or is it Pele? In, in women's tennis, is it Martina Navratilova or is it Venus Williams? I mean, who who who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest? And uh, even Jesus' disciples were having this discussion. I mean, way back then they were having to say who's who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? Why? Because on the inside of each of us, there's something that we want to be recognized. We want to accomplish. We want to be fruitful. And you know why? Because God put that in us. God put it in us to make a difference. God put it in us to be successful. God put it in us to accomplish. God put that in us. He didn't put, you don't have a mediocre spirit in you. You've got a spirit of excellence in you. You've got a spirit of greatness in you. God doesn't want us to be mediocre. He wants us to be great. And so the disciples, they were arguing one day, hey, hey, who, we need a jockey for position here because we know that, you know, the Lord, he's about to, he's about to establish his kingdom and he, he establishes his, his kingdom. He's going to need somebody on his right hand. He's going to need somebody on his left hand. So I vote that I be on his right hand and you can be on his left hand. And so they were arguing about this, and Jesus called them all together in Mark chapter 10. He called them all together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know, in this, in this world system, in the Gentiles, 
you've got you've got the you've got the bosses, you got you got the masters, and and they lord it over their subjects. I mean, they they rule with a with a strong hand, with an iron hand, with an iron fist. They they're just hard rulers. They, they lord it over them. I mean, it's, it's the buck stops here. You know, they, you it's, it's, you don't have to question who's large and in charge. They're gonna make it known that you know that the you know there is a boss and you're not him, or there is a boss and you're not her. Right, But Jesus said, he said, not so with you. In other words, Jesus said, you know, there's a new, this is a new way for a new day. We're not going to operate like that anymore. If you're going to be my follower, you're not going to rule like that anymore. You're not going to lead like that anymore. You're not going to be like that. That's the wrong spirit. He said, there's going to be a new way for a new day. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great. And I think it's real interesting that Jesus did not rebuke them for wanting to become great. You ought to want to become great. You ought to want to live a life of significance. You ought to want to live a life that makes a difference in the life of someone else. You ought to want to live a life of influence, where you're influencing someone else for the good. And he says, so whoever wants to make it, make it whoever wants to become great, he didn't say, it's wrong for y'all want to, to want to become great. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to be great, if you want to be, become great, uh, for those who want to be, become great among you, you must be your what? Y'all help me. Servant. Everybody say it out loud. Servant. If you want to become great, you must become a servant. Well, that's a total flip of you know, the thing, way things were operating back then. I mean, those, those people who were ruling, they weren't serving anybody. I mean, they were just large and in charge. They were ruling with a strong hand. But Jesus said, not so among you. If you want to become great, you must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You know what? The, we're, we're the most Christ-like. You and I are the most Christ-like. And isn't that what we're called to be? We're called to be Christ-like. We are the most Christ-like when we're serving others. We're the most Christ-like. As a matter of fact, servanthood is the hallmark of a follower of Jesus. A fo- the, the hallmark of a follower of Jesus is servanthood, being a servant. It's not the most, it's not the, you know, the, the most gifted person. It's not the most powerful person. It's not the best preacher. It's not, the most, it's not really the most visible. The hallmark of the follower of Jesus is servanthood. Whoever serves the best. Whoever serves the least of these, those are, that is the hallmark of the follower of Jesus. We're the most Christ-like when we're serving other people. And let me, just, let me just fill you in on this secret. You and I will never be satisfied in life. We will never be fulfilled in life if we live for ourselves. Jesus said, if you, if you seek to gain, you're going to lose. If you seek just to gain, if, you seek, if you're just seeking to gain for your own sake, you're going to lose. Whoever saves his life is going to lose his life, but whoever loses his life for me, they're going to find their life. And so we'll never be fulfilled, we'll never be satisfied on the inside until we're, we, we discover that our purpose, that our main purpose is to serve Jesus, and the way that we serve Jesus is by serving other people. Amen? I mean, you can say, you don't have to say amen, but it's still the truth. Amen. And so God has put eternity in the heart of each of us. In other words, there's, there's, this, God, there's this, this God-sized 
hole on the, each of us deep down in our soul. And we try to fill it with all kind of things. We, kind of, we try to fill it with riches. We try to fill it with toys. We try to fill it you know, with career advancement. We try to fill it with relationships. And we try to fill it with other kind of relationships. Then we kind of try to fill it with other kind of relationships. And we're never satisfied. And we're always hungry for more. And we're always thirsting for more because we haven't found the fountain that satisfies. And the fountain that satisfies, it's not just Jesus, but it's doing what Jesus has called us to do. And what he's called us to do is serve. Amen. He's called us to serve. Amen. And so what I want to do is there's, there's seven Greek words in the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament was the original language was Greek. There's seven Greek words that is translated servant in the New Testament. I want to talk about three of those words because I think of these, these three words really give us a picture of what a true servant of Jesus looks like. Okay, so I just want to give you, I want you, I want to give you these three words. So the first one is this, and it's found in, it's found in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And it's interesting to me that, you know, in the Gospels, you have four, four accounts. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in these Gospels, you have different writers who are, who are recording the life of Jesus and, and what he said and the miracles that he said. And uh, although a lot of them are very similar, sometimes they have little nuances that are different. And it's not because they have a different story. It's but like you and I, they heard different. They saw different. Some, you know, some things stood out to them more than other things stood out to them. And so with all four of those together, we give an accurate account of the gospel. And so even some of them recording the same stories, they used a different Greek word to, to communicate the same thing. For instance, the word servant. I mean, it's used, it's used in, in the same story, in the same setting. The translators translated the word as servant, but it had a little nuance. It had a little difference to it. So the first one is this in Mark chapter 10. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That word servant right there is the Greek word doulos, D-O-U-L-A-S, and it actually means a bond servant. Everybody say a bond servant. A bond servant. And a bond servant is a bound servant. Now let me just tell you how this, this happened. In those days, if someone... Um, if someone were to get in debt to someone else, I mean, they borrowed something, they stole something, whatever, they, they became indebted to someone else, and they couldn't pay for their debt, well, then they would have to become the person's servant or slave or bond servant. They were bound to them, bound to serve them until the debt was paid off. Now, under Jewish law, if seven years had passed, at the end of seven years, they would be free from that burden of debt, and they, they were free to walk you know, to go free. So what would happen is that some of these folks, they would, they would get indebted to someone and they would have to serve them or they'd have to become a slave to them. And so even after seven years had passed and they were free to go, they became so, uh, they, they became so a part of their, for lack of better, better words, of the person they were serving, they became so part of them and they had been treated so well that they just decided to stay on as a bond servant. I mean, willingly and voluntarily, they decided to stay on as a bond servant. And so they would even have their ears pierced with the, you know, with their, their owner's you know, emblem in their ear to say, hey, I'm identifying with them. I belong 
to them. I am a bondservant to them. And some of them would live the rest of their life as a bondservant, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Man, what an illustration for us that, you know, we, uh, through, because of our sin, we had a debt that we could not pay. And, and Jesus came along, and what did he do? He freed us from that debt. He paid. He paid for the debt that he didn't know that we owed it. Right, And so because of that, we became his bondservant. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, you said, you know, I can't pay for my own sin. You paid for my sin. And because of your kindness, because of your goodness, I'm going to surrender my life to you, and I'm going to become your servant. And it's interesting to me that, you know, you can walk away from the Lord, and you, you, know, you can decide today, you know what, I'm just not going to serve God anymore. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with serving in the church and serving other people. And I'm, I'm done with serving the Lord. And you know, he'll just let you not serve him anymore. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that. But you can do that because it's an act of your own will. You, you can do that. But how many of you know that you've chose, you know what, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Jesus. And I look at people who've served God for 40 or 50 years, and I know they've, they've had the same, they've had, the, everything hadn't been up. They've walked on the mountaintops. They've walked in the, in, the, in the valleys. They've had good times and they've had hard times. They've gone through some stuff. But they say, you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I've decided that I'm going to serve the Lord. Why? Because I was indebted. And each of us, only each of us know how much we were indebted. Each, each of us, we know what we were burdened with and the sin that we were burdened with and how Jesus came and delivered us. And we just said, you know what? I am indebted to him, and I will serve Jesus the rest of my, my life even if I don't have to. Even if he doesn't require me to, I will serve him the rest of my life. So that's the, the, the first Greek word, doulos, is the word translated servant is a bond servant. The second one is this. The second one is this in Matthew 20. 26, again, Jesus uses this illustration. Whoever desires to become great, let him be your servant. He said, if you want to be first, let him be your slave. And, and actually, the word that's translated servant here is where we, it's the, the Greek word, uh, it's, I think it's, I don't know how to pronounce it, D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S, diakonos, and it's where we get the word deacon from. Y'all ever heard of a deacon before? You ever heard of a deacon? You know, a lot of times in some churches you have deacons and and a lot of times they, they, they got the right name. They're fulfilling the wrong role. They're trying to run the church, and that's not the role of the deacon. No, the role of the deacon is actually they are stewards of the, of the spiritual gift of hospitality. We see this in Acts chapter 7 that, you know, people were, these widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so, uh, you know, they called, Peter called, he said, he said, choose from among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Spirit that we can appoint over this business. What was the business? It was the business of hospitality. Do you know that hospitality is a spiritual gift? It's a very, very powerful, powerful spiritual gift. That we see in, in, in 1 Peter talks about uh, hospitality is a very powerful spiritual gift. And so a deacon, they were stewards of this spiritual gift called hospitality. They, you know, it was their whole job to make people, when they came, to make people feel comfortable. Man, we got that gift working in this church. As a matter of fact, I believe it is, it, it is the, 
if we were to take the sum total of all gifts put together and what would spit out on a chart was that, that our strongest gift of this church, I mean, we put everybody together, put everything together, the, the strongest gift that we operate in this church is hospitality. You say, well, how can you say that? Because that's what people always talk about. People who come to this church for the time, man, I just, I was, I just felt so welcome. I felt so welcome. Man, I wish they'd say, man, that preacher is the best preacher I ever heard in my life. And man, it's all, but I don't, I don't hear that. You know what I hear? Man, just, I just made to feel, I was made to feel welcome. Well, I didn't do that because I'm not out there greeting everybody. You did that. You made people feel welcome. And so we, we got this gift working. I believe this is what we could be best in the world at. I don't believe that we've arrived yet. I believe that we've, we, we've come away. I don't believe that we've attained yet. But I believe that we can be best in the world. You know, isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit's called a comforter? He makes people feel comfortable. I've had people say, well, you know, whenever sinners come into my presence, they're, they, they start twitching in their eyes, start rolling back in their head, and they get all these conniptions and everything, and it's because I'm so full of God and I'm so spiritual. I don't know if that's it or not. I mean, Jesus was a friend of sinners. I mean, he had notorious sinners come and sit and eat with him and prostitutes. and I mean, come and sit with him and didn't say anything about them twitching or shaking. They just love being with him. Why? Because he had the comforter working in him. What's it, what good is it going to do for people who are not right with God to come in here and, and feel uncomfortable? Now, if the Holy Spirit wants to convict him, that's good, but you're not the Holy Spirit, and neither am I. My job is not to be the convictor. My job is to, be the, you know, to work with the comforter and make people feel welcome. And so they can come in and they can hear about the goodness of God. And they can hear about the love of God. And they can hear how God's not holding up accounting against them, their trespasses, but he's canceled them out. My, our job is to make people feel welcome and feel comfortable. And just because somebody feels welcome and comfortable doesn't, believe, doesn't mean that we agree with everything they're doing. Just like, I mean, y'all might not agree with everything I do. You say, what do you do? I ain't telling you. I mean, sometimes I get upset with my dog, right? Now, I hadn't cussed at my dog in about three or four weeks, but I mean, I, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you understand, it's not our job to be the convictor. It, it's, our job to, it's our job to show people the goodness and the love of God and, and uh, I mean, just... And, and if, if there's any conviction to take place, let him do it. Because it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So this, this second Greek word, uh, diakonos, which means where we get our word deacon from. Deacon. And, and what is it? It's, it's, I mean, just the gift of hospitality at work. And I mean, I think about our... You know, people out there and, and greeting at the doors and inviting people and people out there on the street welcoming and the kids check in and they're greeting the kids as they come in and, and then all of you, you don't even have the title, you don't even have the name badge. But you come in just being friendly to people. That is awesome. That's awesome. Can I tell you a secret? You know, uh, if, if I had a big scoreboard up, up there and I, and I could tell when we scored, as a church, when we scored, I mean, in football, you know, when you score, when somebody crosses the goal line or kicks a field goal or kicks an extra point or gets a safety, you know when you've scored. In baseball, you know when somebody scores, they cross home plate, they score. If, if I had a scoreboard back there, let me tell you what I would not see on there. It would not be how many people get saved. 
It would not be how many people are coming to church. It would not be our attendance. You, you, know what's, you know what's a score? When I know that we have won, when I know that we have that we made it across the plate and we made it across the goal line, it's when someone comes up to me and you say, Pastor Chuck, this is so-and-so. They're here for the first time. I invited them to come with me. That is a win. Why? Because I know that if we can get that going far, you know, long enough and consistent enough, there's going to be... Uh, there, then our next win's going to be right in line. There's going to be some life transformation somewhere along the line. Somebody is going to get saved. A marriage is going to get fixed. Somebody is going to be healed. Somebody is going to be filled. Somebody, I mean, life change is going to happen. But when I hear that, that, that one of you said, you know what, I brought my friend. Boy, that, that's huge. That's huge. It's huge to me that when, that when you trust us enough and you have enough confidence in us that you can bring one of your friends to and you don't think that we're going to misuse them or abuse them or get crazy. Amen. I'll, I'll let that go right now or I'll preach as long as I did in the last service. and We don't need that. Okay. So that's the next, the, that word deacon. It's just that, that gift of hospitality. And the, then the third word servant and that's, you see, I mean, I think this is awesome. And it's really, it, the Greek word, it, it kind of portrays this picture as an under rower. Everybody say an under rower. An under rower. And, and this is the picture. Have you seen the, those old Roman ships sometimes? And then right beneath the main deck, you have, you have these under rowers down there. And you can't see them on the main deck, but they're, under, they're underneath the main deck. And what do they do? They're, they're, they're rowing and supplying the power for the vessel. Unseen, unheard, you never see them, but they're down there supplying the power. And so that is another word for servant is an under rower. And people who serve, they serve God, and they're not serving God to be seen by others. Now, you might be seen, but you're not doing it to be seen by others. You're not doing it to lift yourself up. I mean, that is what that is a picture of a servant, an under or Somebody just, you know, I'm content to be behind the scenes. I think of people about who pray. I mean, they're, they're praying, and they're waking up in the morning. They're hitting their prayer closet. Nobody sees them, but they are praying. They're praying. And people who just do things and it goes unnoticed and it goes unrecognized by men, you need to know something. It's never unnoticed by God. And it's never unrecognized by God. He is faithful. He said you keep doing good and you will be rewarded. So three words. That, that word um, uh, being that bond servant, just willingly. The word the, the deacon. I mean just showing hospitality to people, bringing comfort to people. And then that third one, that under roar. We're not, we're not doing things to be seen by people. We're doing things to be seen by God. We're doing it as unto the Lord. Can you say amen? Now I think it's very interesting as we get ready to go this morning. And I'm going to ask that nobody click your binders, nobody get up and leave right now. Just, just sit tight for a second. That you know, that our relationship with God is strictly a volition of our own will. I mean, it is, I mean, it, it is voluntary. It's not, he, he doesn't, he's not pressuring. He's not making you serve him. He's not making you walk with him. He's not making you have a relationship with him. It is strictly an act of your will that you say, you know what, I'm going to give my whole heart and my whole life to Jesus, and I'm going to become a bondservant of Jesus. That is strictly up to you. You see, he's already chosen you. 
He's already called you. He's already paid the price for you. He's already paid a debt that you owed but were unable to pay. He's already done that. But now you have a move, and it's strictly your choice that you have to come to him. He's drawing you, but you have to come to him. You see, he's always been about a relationship. He's never been about religion. He's never been about a bunch of do's and don'ts. He's always been about having a relationship with you. He's always been about going on a journey with you. Of you, First of all, you just knowing him. And there's nothing, there's nothing that compares in life than just knowing God. Just knowing him. And I'm, I'm not talking, if you've never experienced a relationship, if you've only experienced religion, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But if there's not something in you in a relationship with God that just makes you happy, that just makes you glad, that you're going, oh man, I am so glad that I'm in a relationship with God. I can be in a relationship, I can have a wife, and that's a, that's a lovely relationship. I can have a husband, that's a lovely relationship. I can have all the awesome friends, and, and those are awesome relationships, but it doesn't compare with a relationship with God. I mean, a real, life-giving, vibrant relationship with God that is more real than any other relationship. It just doesn't compare. And if you've never had that, then you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like the difference of going, you know, going to get a steak somewhere, and you go, well, we're going to go to Lone Star. Nothing wrong with a Lone Star steak until you've eaten at Ruth's Chris. And these are Lone Star. That's not a steak. I don't know what it is. It's not a steak. But if you've eaten at Ruth's Chris, I mean, now you know there is a, all steaks are not created equal. <laughs> and all relationships are not created equal. There can be some awesome relationships on earth, but a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, that is the real deal. That is the real deal. And that's what he wants for you. So I want to pray for you. If you've never, if you've never just as an act of your will, say, Jesus, I'm deciding today to follow you. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you to save me. If you've never done that, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to stand right there in your chair. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to count to three. And if you've never done that, I want to pray for you. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift your hand right now. Let's all just pray this prayer out loud together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I confess you as the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will follow you. I will obey you. By your grace, I will live my life completely for you. I ask you to surround me with the right people that I may grow up and be effective in your kingdom. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. Amen. And the church, we ought to take the roof off this place. Let's give these a big hand clap. All right.